his athleticism, his ability, his size, it's all there. It's just, can we, can we get that out at Texas? Cause he's going pro regardless. <laughs> We're back. Welcome back to another episode of Fire the Cannon, part of the 1012 Podcast Network. I'm Rocky. I'm Megan. And I'm Texas Homer. And we are Fire the Cannon. All right. Welcome, Texas Homer. We're going to have such a good time today. We're glad you joined us. You are a genius. Your content is amazing. We'll let everybody know when and where to find you. But let's chat. Let's introduce you for the person who's been living under a rock. Everyone knows you. They're following you, subscribing to you on YouTube. You went to UT's film school, graduate of the University of Texas in 2015. Before you were a fan, but now you you have valid content. You have a channel that you started for creativity, but now you have a brand. Introduce yourself. Tell us more about what you're posting, where we can find you. Yeah, I have a YouTube channel. I'm going into my second season, but I cover the team. So it could be team coverage, spring ball, fall camp, those kind of things. I also cover recruiting. I do some short documentaries on like Steve Sarkeesian's background, uh, PK's background, Brennan Marion. And then also I do game analysis, which is my most favorite aspect of football. I really like the scheme side, the personnel side, advanced analytics, those kind of things. I think that if you have good information, you can kind of see where a game's going to go before it even happens. Not always, but you can kind of say, okay, this is how they're going to attack us. These are their strengths. These are our weaknesses. And knowing that you can kind of formulate a game plan without, you know, ever talking to a coach. So that's what I'm most excited about. And those are actually starting up now. I'm working on my ULM preview right now. So you can find me on YouTube. That's where everything is. I also have a Twitter at the Texas Homer, but come by the channel, watch a video. If you like it, then please subscribe. Yeah, I love it, man. Listen, I, I love, love, love your content. It's like every time I'm like, all right, I need to get the inside scoop. I need to see what's going on. I pop over to your channel and oh my goodness, you've just got so much detail. You've got so many insiders that join you. Uh, again, like Rocky said earlier, the folks that don't know you, come on, y'all, you're living under a rock, right? But definitely check out the Texas Homer. I mean, it's it's an incredible channel. Uh, if you're a Texas fan, you got to be subscribed. That is for dang sure. You are definitely the insider because when you want to go talk culture at Texas, you brought on Roshan Johnson. Like, it's just, it's incredible. Like, so we'll, we're going to break this down today and we'll get into it. But the last few vi videos you've posted, your most recent content, you broke down the offense position by position, player by player. You broke down defense and then you talked recruiting. So we will get into those topics today. But we wanted to kind of catch up first on what's happening in Texas football, because we know we'll get right into it. Camp is happening. Sark's first press conference of the season. He said 35 of the 85 players are brand new to Texas. 57 of 85 are freshmen and sophomores. We have a young team. What did you hear out of fall camp that has sparked your interest so far this, this fall? Yeah, well, we had such a new team. The recruiting class was awesome and some key transfers. So it's not as simple as just looking at last year's stats and being like, okay, we're going to naturally grow or we're going to naturally take a step back. That's what's so interesting. So you have to see how the offensive line comes together, the wide receiver room. Now we'll talk about injuries later, but how that's been affected. And then of course the quarterback battle um, that appears to be closer than we thought as well. So 
this season is interesting from analysis because I have more questions than answers even at this point. And so I'll be just as shocked as everyone else to see how things turn out <laughs> for good or for poor, because there's so many variables here that don't lend itself to going, okay, we're going to do this perfectly. This position group's naturally going to grow. It's really tough to project this season, particularly. And after going five and seven, it's good that we don't project necessarily. We want, we want big changes to occur. Um, but that's kind of where I'm at is, you know, I know as much as you guys do, um, I have some fall camp info, but as far as like what's going to play out on the field, that's uh, uh, anyone's guess. Right. That's why they play the game, right? <laughs> no, I, I, I definitely agree. This has been a crazy roller coaster of an offseason as <laughs> we often get with Texas football recently. Yeah, man, let's let's dive into it. You know, we were I think Texas fans and Texas media was on a high there for a, a hot minute. We got these quarterbacks that are battling it out. We got some big men on campus that we're excited about. We're stacked at wide receiver and fall camp starts and boom, injury bug, right? Let's jump into that. How, how are you feeling, man? I know I was super high on the season and then I kind of hit that, I don't know, let's call it a bipolar rock bottom You know, when you get that injury report. <laughs> how are you feeling about, about the injuries and how are they going to impact uh, what, what the projections were for this team? Yeah, so I don't know, you know, how it'll translate to like, you know, it's minus one win now, but I can 100% see Nayer winning a game. We have to throw it up at the last second and he has to go get it. So I envision that. So I think losing Nayer is a big deal. Um, there's no one currently on the roster that can match that, you know, NFL talent, uh, even this young and his ability. So that's a big loss. Uh, I've seen people try to sugarcoat it. You know, I, I disagree with that. This is a loss. We got to take that and understand it. Then you have Angelau, who is a good interior run blocker for us, which we're going to need with Bajan. And so he's he's going into his fourth year, I believe. So that's significant. He was also getting those center reps, even with the ones at times, for majors. Um, so now we lose depth there. So I think that's really significant. You have uh, Jade Barron in a boot on the defensive side. He should be back soon, but you want him getting those reps. I didn't hear Alfred Collins mentioned in the presser, but I have heard on reported on the other sites that the, he was um, out for the scrimmage or got hurt as well. So it's a lot of these guys that are kind of our, our front line, the talents we wanted to see pop this year. And so it's going to be tough. There's really no way around it. It's not ideal, but luckily it wasn't three days before the season. The coaches have the opportunity now to know, to scheme, and to have other people step up, especially on the offensive line. Cole Hudson was also mentioned as he got hurt, which we didn't right. know about. Um, he was a young freshman that was going to come in at guard. So now he's out. So offensive line is going to get shuffled. I heard he said Devon Campbell and Neto can get some shots there, but it's good. That's good for the future. That's good for next year. I don't know about having this many young guys involved this year, especially early on, especially with game two is going to, is going to yield wonderful results, but there's really no way around it. The injuries are not good, but it's part of the game and we have time for everyone to scheme and the people that need to step up know they need to step up and they have a couple weeks to figure it out. Big difference from the first presser where Sark said, Oh, we're, you know, no players completely out all 110 ready to go um, to train. And within a few days after that first scrimmage, I hope, 
this Saturday's scrimmage is in bubble wrap or <laughs> I mean, I know we all know it's a collision sport. Injuries are part of the game. But when we heard that Rojo was, you know, maybe carted off or was, you know, carried off or something. And your first thought is, you know, well, for some people, they say, oh, next man up. Well, you can't take a leader such a like as, as a human he's a powerful leader and voice on the team and he's so wise and so experienced and so powerful and he really is what we've been hearing part of this you know a little bit more two back sets and things happening so you can't just pull that out and say oh well next man up there's some things that yes let me have my five minutes of panicking <laughs> and, yeah, then I'll, and then i'll come back to reality but no the season's not over but because hopefully like sark said today hopefully it's hopefully he's back sooner rather than later like Megan and I talked about earlier, hopefully before Alabama. So yeah, absolutely. He he's a team leader. He can still lead from the sidelines, but he there's a spark when he comes in. It's kind of like when, whenever uh, Sam took the QB job, you just kind of saw that there's a little bit of that anger and pride in his game, which we need and we've lacked. So that's tough. He can still lead from the sidelines. He can still hold accountable, but does limit you on some two back stuff if you need one of those running backs to lead block. Uh, the row cat stuff we saw in. Kansas State ideally we don't see that again that was kind of we needed that in order to to be able to win without quarterbacks but it does limit us a little bit schematically and it'll be tough not having him in the huddle it's really no huddle offense but you know what I mean on the field able to tell guys and look them in the eyes so hopefully he's back for us I know it sounded way worse when we heard the initial report so the good news is that it's not as serious as initially thought which is great very good news and we wish of course like we said earlier Nair and Angelau we wish them speedy recoveries. Fortunately, they have a fantastic staff at the university that will help them get back to 100%. So good luck to those guys. When Megan and I had talked a few days ago, we were trying to, we're going over all the press conferences and player availabilities in the last couple of weeks since camp started. And we were kind of noticing some themes in, you know, Sarkeesian, Bijan, DeMarvion, Spoke, Anthony Cook, Jay Witt. Xavier Worthy. So we were trying to put together, like, what were the themes that we were seeing in all these press conferences? And one of the things that came up early and often was the heat and training in this heat. And like, you can't, you can't change the weather, right? Here's Demo. He gave us some interesting insight on the team's philosophy on training in this heat. Yes, sir. That is the plan. You know, Coach uh, Sark talk about it every day. We when we think about it, we really got an advantage on a lot of teams that don't get to experience this 100 degree weather like we do. So uh, it definitely hurt going out there, but we know that this is only going to help us in the long run because come September 3rd and uh, 10th and on there, it's going to be hot when we can't control that. So it's basically just going out there knowing that we cannot control the weather as much as I wish I could, but uh, it's... So it doesn't get hot in Alabama? Oh, well, I mean, it, it might do. Yeah. It, it might do. But I'm telling you, this Austin, Texas heat is, is definitely different. And it's been different these last couple months. It's hot in Texas. It's hot in Austin, Texas. <laughs> you know, it gets hot in Baton Rouge, too. And LSU sure seemed to have problems with cramping, didn't they? So <laughs> maybe uh, I, I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, we turned yeah, off I'm just their, saying, their look, AC look. allegations. Oh, there was that was a lot so of fun. Dumb. There was a lot of fun from that game, yeah. Yeah. What do you think about the training in the heat? We heard this Saturday at the scrimmage, they ran a hundred plays and a hundred degrees and then gassers after, after the scrimmage. Some people say that might've been just Sark pissed at what he saw, but how do you feel about training in this kind of heat? Do you think that's helping or hurting? 
So I would really need to see the science on it because it feels like the the tough guy nature is like, yeah, run them in a hundred degree heat. But you know, I need to actually see the science of people that have done sports performance in that heat, and if 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 there's diminishing returns, if Alabama has to do it once and Texas did it fifteen times leading up to that, it, did we actually get stronger because of the heat, or did it have some adverse effect? Would it increase any injury potential? Would it dehydrate you? Um, so yeah, the tough guy side of me is like, yeah, we don't care if it's 110, but I would need to see the actual science behind it. I do think it's an advantage, but you know, we struggled late in the season when it was, it was 85 as well. So <laughs> the, the heat, the heat is, it's good, you know, and we definitely need to be prepared for it, but I don't think that necessarily is going to matter as much in November, but it might be an advantage on Alabama. Um, I'm, but I'm sure Alabama is also aware that they're going to have to play in, in the heat. Yeah, I mean, Saban isn't dumb. He knows it's going to be hot in Texas. I don't think that's a revelation for anybody. But I do think there's something to be said. You know, I'll tell you, when when you're out there working outside and, and, and even folks that have outdoor jobs, right, you do that for a while and then you go back into a cushy office job, all of a sudden you try to go back out and work outside again and you're just not acclimated to it. You're not used to it. So I, I agree in the sense I do think there is a good advantage there for Texas. But we do need to be cognizant of that injury bug, right? You know, something I wanted to bring up when when the injury, when we were talking about that a little bit earlier, do you think that DKR being a turf field, now we know it's super advanced turf, it's not like the old 70s rock hard concrete AstroTurf, but it's still turf. Is that affecting Texas with these soft injury tissues that, or the soft tissue injuries that we're seeing? Or is this just kind of freak of the game, you know, weird things happening? Yeah, well, Nash Talks Texas is another YouTuber, and we're all in a group chat together, and he sent us some actual study done on turf, and it's not, it doesn't correlate to all injuries, but it does specifically correlate to knee and ligament injuries. So it what there is proven that knee injuries do increase on turf, not all injuries, um, but there is science to back it up. Do I know if that's exactly what happened in this case? No, I couldn't say that, but there is scientific evidence to say that that turf will increase some of those ligament injuries. And if you're practicing on grass and then going to turf, those are where maybe you could have some more potential, right? So if you're practicing on turf, playing on turf, maybe not, but if you're changing what type of field you're playing on going from the practice field into DKR, maybe potentially um, there could be an issue there. Um, it's more about the heat. It can be, you know, anywhere from 20 to like 40 degrees hotter on turf so you know you're already in 100 degrees and then on top of that you know you have to get on turf that's what i worry more about with turf is how much heat is reflected off of it compared to grass so we'll keep moving on so another of the themes that we had found when we were reviewing all these availabilities was the team feels more player-led. They talked a lot more about the team first over individuals. When Bijan was asked about the Heisman, he made a comment that, you know, the if the team does well, then the individual awards will come. Sark made that same comment. Xavier Worthy, when they asked him about, you know, breaking records and things, he said, my goal is for the team to win a championship. When you interviewed Roshan Johnson recently in, in one of your videos, it was about culture and more accountability and player led. What are you saying and hearing from the team that should have Texas fans excited that the culture is shifting to more player led team? Yeah, I'm hearing what y'all are hearing. Um, even in the pressers, when I, you know, talk to Cook, I talk to Nayer, I talk to Roshan, 
they all said the vibe is more positive, which in turn is a, a mission or, you know, to say that last year did not have that vibe. And you can see that on the field. Um, so if they're playing for each other, that'll be great. It is positive. They all are saying the same thing. We got to see when that adversity hits. Um, that's when we're really going to see it. But it is a different tone. And being held accountable, it's not this, Roshan says, it's not this happy process. You're having to bond with people and have serious talks. So there's going to be some friction, but I, ultimately I think you end up kind of trauma bonding through these camps <laughs> and these experiences. And that actually kind of makes you tighter. So I don't think it's a pleasant experience, even though it sounds really nice to us, but I think ultimately it, it will benefit us because you could see that I don't want to make declarative statements, but it didn't seem like they were playing for each other in some of those games. You know, they kind of quits a strong word, but you would see that in those fourth quarters. I mean, if it happens time and time and time again, there's there's some trend here. And we'll so just say they didn't finish. Yeah. That's, that's a delicate way of saying it. But yeah, I mean, Homer, I agree with you. It's it's there. There was something missing there. And, you know, call it the it factor, call it, you know, culture call it bonding call it whatever you want it just wasn't there last year and and that's something you know we've talked about on fire the cannon it's something we've talked about on twitter and you know rocky and i have talked about amongst ourselves it, it really you know seeking some good news here it does seem like this team has come together quite a bit you're seeing them bond you're seeing them uh you know on, on the front end on the fan side you're seeing a lot more cohesion with the team and then hearing that coming out i love your point that trauma bonding look I'll tell you what, if I had to run a hundred plays in a hundred degree weather and then run gassers, I would consider that trauma bonding as well. That, that sounds awful, just awful. <laughs> now that would have been on my tombstone ran a hundred plays and then gassers <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. And they are, they are closer. They, they hang out more. The big thing that cook would tell me too, is defensively. He's like the different position units are hanging out. And there's mixing, you know, it's not just safeties hanging out with safeties and D-line with D-line. You're naturally going to hang out with your position and form stronger friendships there. But they are crossing those boundaries. And especially from offense to defense, teams can be very siloed. I mean, they're scrimmaging each other. There's a competitive aspect even within the team. And so that they're able to bond across the sides of the ball, across positions. There's no way that that's going to hurt you. So those things are all positive when you hear them from Cook. Uh, Nayer, who's new and still says it feels good, and then Roshan. So I don't think it's a coin. If they're all saying it uh, and they're not coached up on that, they've all individually hit those points with me to be like, yeah, and we're talking across teams. We're hanging out outside of football. It's not just, hey, we go and do football and then we go back to our apartments or hang with our other separate group of friends. So there, there's no way that it that's not going to have – that's not going to benefit the Longhorns. All right. Thank you. One more theme that we have before we move on, and this has kind of already been brought up a little bit, like not finishing. Um, you said even in, in nicer weather, they didn't come through all the way to the end. So is this really an advantage to train in the heat? But it was brought up a few times, their inconsistency and not finishing the game or having, as Sark had mentioned, having moments where the defense was really stout, but then giving up things and getting their head down and then having to fight back or, you know, just... We saw, I mean, Oklahoma game to me was like not just one where the game was two halves, but that pretty much split the season into two halves where we, like I've said before, we went from all gas, no breaks to all gas, all breaks. How do you think the team is addressing 
the inconsistency and where it looked like they stopped full effort. Yeah, 100%. I think the best thing you can do is in the recruiting class. I love these young guys' mindsets. So that infusion is going to help. There's still going to be natural inconsistency because we are young at a lot of key spots. But inconsistency is different than what we saw last year. If they're still trying, but they're making some mistakes, that's that's different. So I think we'll still kind of see that a little bit. But I really think the young guys coming in, I think the transfers, largely the transfers that they brought in are are, are pro-social and are going to help help the culture. But And the, some of the older guys phasing out, right? Some of the people that we lost to the transfer portal, um, you know, Sark probably had to have some hard, hard conversations and say, hey, I think it's, you know, you might want to head, head somewhere else. So I think that's going to help just the actual human beings and their personalities you have in there are going to help with into game stuff. And like I said, that younger class, they've kind of went through it where they're, you know, every class wants to bring Texas back. We've seen that and heard that before, but their specific group is more interesting because they know that other classes have said that, but they came in young Finkley banks, those young guys, even the guys that are in third and fourth string right now, are all getting really positive praise and having that mindset. So I think, I think that's what ultimately help late in the game. You have to like each other at the end of the day, you just do, you're going to work better with people that you like and that you're friends with. So uh, I think we'll, we'll see some improvement there. I don't know necessarily consistency because we're young, but I don't think we'll see the same woes of something goes wrong in the fourth quarter. And then we kind of see it collapse. There are a couple different ways to look at consistency, too, the way that I see it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you want to see that consistent, solid play every game. You know, we're not giving up the big plays. We're not, you know, we're, we're playing hard. We're doing that. But to me, another aspect of consistency is the effort that's given, right? And I think that's kind of what came into play last year is it wasn't a consistent effort all the way through the game all the way through the season. And it seems to me that that mentality has changed very much um, into, into a place where all these players, young players too, like you said, you know, this, this young blood mentality coming in and they're, they're hungry, they're dogs, they want to fight. Right. And I think that's just going to make the rest of the team better. And that mentality kind of working up and amping up, staying consistent with their efforts all the way through, I think is going to make a massive difference in this season. Hopefully that competition, that young hot competition is going to light a fire under the upperclassmen, even though we don't have a ton of them. <laughs> so let's go ahead and get into the roster. So on your Texas Homer YouTube channel, like we said earlier, you broke down offense, you broke down the defense, and then we'll get into recruiting in a bit. But let's go ahead and talk offense. We know there's a QB battle. And for some people who are saying, oh, it's yours, no just it's all formality battle. No, it's a real legit battle. And word was Hudson card came out of that first scrimmage ahead a little bit. What are you hearing? I'm hearing the same uh, that Hudson is knows the offense better right now. He's older. He knows the offense better. He's taking care of the ball more than yours is yours is young and a natural gunslinger. So he's naturally, he's naturally going to, he's going to go for it. And you're going to get bit a couple times as a young player. So I hear that Card has more control of the offense. He's able to keep it moving a little better. On the flip side, when Quinn makes his successful throws, people are in awe. So you see that ceiling with him, but currently ceiling is a fancy word for potential. So we need to see what are you doing today? And so I think Card is ahead today. He's older. He had the experience of last year. You know, he doesn't want that experience again. So there's motivation also in Card's camp. 
So we'll see how it plays out. I don't know who the pick's going to be. I don't even have, even behind the scenes, I don't know the tip on who on who it's going to be. Um, but Quinn makes you say, wow, but you can't trade that wow for a bunch of interceptions either, especially early in the season going against Alabama. So it it's definitely is a real battle. There's no denying that Quinn has the higher ceiling there and the higher NFL potential. But ultimately, that doesn't mean much at this current moment. Uh, when deciding the quarterback. You brought up Alabama early in the year, right? And do you think that's factoring in Alabama? Everybody's, we've had this circled on this schedule. And look, I know every coach can say one game at a time, we're focusing on this. We're ready for Alabama, right? Texas, everybody's been waiting for this matchup for a minute. Is that going to go into the decision for the coaches on who to pick for, you know, you you mentioned Card is showing more maturity. Obviously he knows the scheme a little bit better because he's been there. Um, does that factor in, does the Al- Alabama being game number two, does that factor into the decision on, on who becomes QB one? I don't think the coaches would come out and say that, but absolutely at the human, uh, they're not going to say it in the press conference, but absolutely Alabama is everybody knows that's coming. Now I've heard weird things where it's like, yeah, throw one quarterback out for Alabama and then let the other one take over after that, like a weird sacrifice, you know? And I'm like, no, that's not what's going to occur at all. But and Sark said that if you, you know, if you're worried about protecting a guy and one of his pressers, then that's the wrong guy. But it is absolutely you're going to need a, a incredible effort to beat Alabama. And you're not going to be able to do that, throwing interceptions, turning the ball over, or even fumbling with the running backs. So, yeah, if you want a chance to beat Alabama, you're going to need to take care of the ball. But then Quinn also. So that goes to point towards card. Right. But then Quinn on the other side is high flying and you saw their secondary get tested against Georgia. Now guys were hurt, but you saw that you could throw it over the top on them. And Quinn gives you a better opportunity there because Card does still seem to struggle with the deep outside throws, even in camp currently. And Quinn doesn't seem to struggle with that. So it's, it's the, it's a tough competition. It's tough for Sark to be like, well, do we go with the more volatile guy, but he could also give us more of a shot or do you want to go with the guy that's going to be the safer option, but you might have less explosive plays? I mean, it it it's tough, but Alabama is absolutely looming on their minds, regardless of what anybody says. Especially with that record of former assistants who are now head coaches who try to take on Nick Saban. <laughs> this is what Sarkeesian himself said about what he's looking for in the QB battle, how he's going to pick his starter. Execution, decision-making, um, accuracy. Um, leadership, body language, um, understanding the special situations that, that arise in the scrimmage, third downs, red area, um, you know, um, two-minute drills. You know, there's going to be a lot of different scenarios that come up and how they manage those situations as they show themselves in the scrimmage as opposed to in practice when we're going to do a drill. Red area, and we're in the red area. When, you, when you're playing football, it could be a third and nine situation, which you got to tap into. You convert it. Now, all of a sudden, you're in the red zone. And so your brain has to shift to what is the situation that we're in. So that, that a lot for the quarterbacks that way, but that's overall for a team. You know, we're really trying to understand the situations that make up the game. The quarterbacks are, are the ones at the forefront of all that, of understanding that and, and operating at a high level when those situations come up. So he's putting a lot on them, right? So maybe that gives a little bit of more advantage to Hudson Card because he's looking for a lot more cerebral. And like you said, and in your breakdown on Texas Homer YouTube, you had said a good comparison was Brett Favre with yours, that you're going to get 
the the gunslinger and the and the chance taker, and it's going to be you're going to live and die by that, right? Like if you had to bet today, who's starting against ULM? If I had to bet today, it's still really hard to bet against Quinn. Um, I think there's a human nature element to that, that the upside is just so appeasing. And we saw a card last year, right? He's the Quinn's the new shiny toy. And we kind of naturally go to that. His arm ability too is crazy, but card can absolutely win this. And so that that's where, and he won scrimmage one. He did have an interception, I believe, but uh, everyone said he was in more command of the offense. And so he can absolutely win this. I still think, Quinn is Quinn is going to have to actively make card not pick him or uh, Sark not pick him by throwing interceptions. Um, if it was equal right now, uh, I think your pick would be Quinn. I think it would be announced. So if Quinn's not there, it's because he doesn't know the offense yet. He's young. It's not a bad thing. And he's, he's a risk taker, which can also be a really cool trait. I think card struggles card you're going to get more consistency but sometimes he doesn't choose to take that shot when he could he only had one interception and that's a good trait last year but i think it's also because you're going to throw less interceptions when you're less likely to throw the ball and quinn's always going to put it in play so the tough part with quinn as well is quinn was his biggest guy that he was connecting with was nair and nair is can jump ball and so you can throw that thing up quinn will throw that thing up and so then you lose Nair. So that's also a point towards card right now. So Quinn, if I had to bet, I would say Quinn as final answer, but card can absolutely take this thing. <laughs> Twitter's going to melt if when card is announced as the starting QB, but you know, we have to trust Milwee and Sark. They're the QB, you know, whispers experts. And like they said before, they're collecting a ton of data and they're going to use that data to make a decision. And they're, they know their careers are riding on this decision too. So the fans will have to just trust, trust in the coaching staff. Well, and if it is Quinn, don't turn on him early on, you know, we saw with card, I mean, it's really unfair how we treat quarterbacks across the board at Texas. You know, it's, it's just not healthy. And so, Hey, they're saying that Quinn's having some struggle knowing the offense and he's throwing some interceptions that leads you to believe that he's going to struggle with the offense a little bit early and throw some interceptions, but it doesn't mean that you toss Quinn out as well and say that, Oh, you know, he's not good. You, I put a tweet up yesterday showing Colts first year or Colts second year through 18 interceptions. I showed, showed Vince his first two years. He wasn't a great quarterback statistically his first two years. You remember Sam's first year? He was breaking our hearts throwing those game-losing interceptions. Everyone so, was for the game. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And, it's, and then you saw. So this concept that if you don't have a good showing off the bat that you're doomed is just incorrect. And that goes for both Card and Quinn. So, right. you know, if we know that Quinn's a little bit more volatile at this point, and you want him, that's great, but you got to be able to stomach the flip side of that as well. Okay, well, let's keep moving to the offense. Running backs. We have, everyone's talking about a Heisman candidate. He's, if you want to bet, if you're a betting person, you can put money on Bijan Robinson for Heisman. But Rojo is injured. What are you hearing about that? How that injury might affect the running back room? Yeah, so if you do a two-back stuff, Roshan can help you lead block for Bijan. So that kind of limits that there because you're, other option would be Keelan, and Keelan's not a lead a blocking back type, maybe Brooks. 
but you limit some things there and then you absolutely limit the the row cap formation. So we do have depth there, but we don't necessarily have depth of his play style there. So that it'll still you'll still be missing a little bit, but Keelan gives you some diversity and you can he's like shot out of a cannon. And then you have Brooks, who I'm very excited for. That's the hipster pick, you know, behind the scenes uh, for who you're going to like at running back. So I'm not worried at the running back room, but Sean's incredible. So I think we'll be good there. It does limit some of the stuff we can do. And of course, kind of that that spark he provides. But I'm not going to lose sleep over the hard technical running back side of it he we're gonna be all right at that position yeah I definitely think you know running backs it's it's we are fortunate in the sense that we are stacked we've got a lot of talent there um and I love that you said it was a hipster pick to to go with Brooks because I we've been hearing the same thing Brooks has had a really good camp he's doing really well making a lot of progress and people are quietly getting excited about him so um, you know, we want Rojo back as soon as possible, but hopefully Brooks takes this as a, an opportunity to step up and show what he can do and really grow with that position as well. We talked about Rojo's injury. We are missing now at least two wide receivers. Nayer, we talked about with the knee injury, Hall out indefinitely for violating of team conduct. Um, we all heard about his car getting a boot and him trying to handle it. Sark said in the, get in the presser that that was his being suspended indefinitely wasn't this one event. It was a culmination of events or things that had been lining up for that. So people freaking out over a suspension. Oh, the, you know, he, it's the parking people at UT. Yeah, the UT people parking people suck. But apparently this was more than that one event. We know we have Xavier Worthy and Jay Witt ready to go. Tell us about the positions and who needs to step up. So Nair is your traditional boundary receiver, also known as an X receiver in most offenses. And so that's your bigger wide receiver. He can get more one-on-one opportunities. He's better on the goal line. He's not your fastest receiver always. And that's normally your field receiver, like an Xavier Worthy. But that's the big guy that can jump up and catch the ball. So I've heard people say, well, Nair went down, so we need Brennan and Savian uh, to step up. We do, but those are slot receivers. That's not the same position. So we need the people that, that actually have to step up here in this scenario. For Nair is going to be Casey Kane, Troy O'Meary. Um, you could do that with Hall, too. I'm I'm sure now with how things have gone, we'll see him back sooner than initially expected. So that, that'll be good if we can get Hall in there. But we need an, a big body guy like a Nair to take that. And then, of course, they, Sark said today that Whittington and Worthy are cross-trained to play other positions, which is good. So you could potentially move Whittington out to the X there, and then that does open up uh, more room for the slot, like a Tariq Milton, Brennan Thompson, Savian Red, who we've heard a lot about. So that's the way you can get more of those slot guys on, which we have more depth with right now, young depth. Um, But ideally, you would have Kane, who Sark, I believe, said today was a pleasant surprise. And then O'Meary, who he said is taking positive steps or something along those lines. So um, my guess would be Casey Kane if they don't bring Hall back sooner rather than later. It wasn't Kane the one that had that like insane acrobatic one-handed catch that they were showing that mm-hmm. Texas football tweeted out. I mean, that was that was banana. Like that the was Hudson like, Carter. How, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How how do how do humans do that? I, I it, it blew my mind. Like he he seems he did like in a high freak. school too. Yeah, I watched his, seemed- his tape and he was he was mossing everybody. He's not super fast, but so the guy's going to be right there with him, but he's going to jump higher than you. 
And he was doing that in high school. So when Sark said he's a pleasant surprise, he he absolutely is. So yeah, you that's... mentioned Sabian Red and Jay Witt when they asked him in his presser and his availability, who's going to surprise, like who should we look for? He had a little twinkle in his eye when he said Sabian Red. So I had to go look up a little bit more about number 17, 5'11", 206 from Grand Prairie, Texas. So he's played quarterback, wide receiver, and running back in high school. So this dude is just an athlete, is a top 250 national player. What more do you know about him and how would you describe Sabian Red? Because we have we have some talent coming in that had a little twinkle in Jay Witt's eye. Yeah, he's tough. And if you watch my recruiting video I did for the the last class, I talk about the word dog is incredibly overused, but it is absolutely fitting when you're talking about red. And he was he would play slot. He will run over the middle. He has no fear. He'll catch that ball. There, you know, there's a linebacker who can take your head off. It's more that he's looking to hit the linebacker. And so you'll see, you'll see his blocking ability. You'll see that he won't go down. There's one specific clip that you can see on the video it's crazy he makes contact like five yards out it takes him another 15 yards or so to actually take him down there's three or four guys and so i said this is a great culture guy i did never expect him to play this early so that's awesome but i was like in two years or something this guy is going to be kind of like i don't know about off the field but on the field he can give you that rojo spark throw it to him when we're feeling sorry for ourselves <laughs> uh, little jordan humphrey little jordan humphrey's way bigger than he is but little Jordan Humphrey would be that spark. You know, we'd be feeling bad for ourselves, throw it to him. He's going to pick up 15 yards. And now the offense is humming again. I think that's what's red will be able to do for us. But yeah, he played a ton of positions. He's a great athlete, but mostly his mental, how his mental informs his play style is what's most exciting about him. I love it. I love it. He wants to go out and hit somebody. You got to love that from a <laughs> guy that's going to be out there catching the ball. <laughs> All right. Quick, quick. O-line. Yay or nay. Is it going to be better? Um, we, okay, we just, on. we had, no, no we had, kidding. just kidding. We had Hudson go down. So that's tricky, right? That was a freshman that just went down Angelau going down. He was getting even first team reps at center. So that's tricky. Banks is from all reports. Sounds like he's awesome, but that's still another freshman. And with Hudson going down now, he mentioned DJ Campbell or Devon Campbell and then Neto. So I can't say with young guys that, hey, game one, they're going to be ready to go. Do I think by the end of the year it'll be a better offensive line? I do. And I think by next year uh, this will be an awesome offensive line. But they're so young, we just we, we got to see. There's too many question marks there for me to go uh, definitive either way, really. While flood, flood coaches them up, do you feel like Sark can scheme them out enough with the skill players around? Yeah, so there are things you can do, right? When you're going against really good edges and stuff like that, you can get the ball out quickly. You can also focus on running because young players are almost always better at run blocking than pass blocking. You can also do an RPO, which is where a run pass option. And so you're passing the ball, but your O-line's actually still run blocking. So that's a good option. You want to get them run blocking as much as possible. Banks and Hudson are already at size. You know, they're six, five plus 320 plus i mean they're already there <laughs> physically so they if you tell them hey that guy in front of you you need to knock him five yards back they can all do that right now it's whenever you're dropping back on third and ten everyone knows you're going to pass and that defensive coordinator is scheming up some weird blitzes where guys are crossing around each other coming from different angles that's the element of young players that you get scared for but as far as like hey man there's this guy in front of you move him backwards i feel comfortable there 
All right, nice. So do you have any bold predictions for the offense before we move to the defense? If you could make a bold prediction. A bold prediction. So many questions here. Um, <laughs> I do have a, a hipster pick. I'll give you one with Brooks. I had a hot take that I was telling somebody about with Brooks. Um, I don't know if it'll be this year. It'll most likely be next year, but this is my hottest take that I provide. Uh, that Brooks will end up with more yards than Bajan. Um, and then not because he's better than Bajan, but because the situation around him will be way better. So you'll have a way better offensive line. You'll have a, a, a solid quarterback that's at least had a year playing. Um, so that that's kind of my hottest take. But with the offense this year, uh, it can it can literally go either way, and I wouldn't be shocked. Um, so and there's high upside here too. It's not all negative. So I don't have a super uh, crazy pick there, but that's my hot take on Jonathan Brooks for everybody. Nice. That's gives us gives us hope. Yeah. All right, we'll move on. We'll keep moving on the defense. Again, you had a great breakdown on the defense. You broke down the D-line, talked about the linebackers. So let's start with the D-line. Okay, you guys talked about they've just been used wrong last year. Maybe because they were in COVID times or whatever it was, they didn't really have, they didn't evaluate properly for their actual personnel. So they put them in to go play, had the D-line working to create for the linebackers, but we didn't have the linebackers to do that. Explain what you saw last year and how you think they can fix that this year. So some of it was three down stuff and there's different styles of three down defense. We're going to change this year, but one key thing of a three down usually is that they space eat. And what that means is normally in a four down line, a defensive lineman has a single gap. And so he just has to run through that gap. So his job is to penetrate towards the quarterback and to the running back three down because there's not as many on the line they will have to do what's called double gapping. And so you'll see like a nose like Keandre Coburn, he'll post up the center and he's not really trying to go backwards toward the quarterback. He's waiting from either side to him. If the running back comes to his left, I can get him here. And if he goes to my right, I can get him here. But when you do that, you naturally lose that penetration that affects pass rush. It affects running. And so that's what we mean by that. We didn't feel like they were used properly because we, we felt like, uh, a single gap defensive line set was more effective for our players styles. And so they needed to actually have one gap. Hey man, this is your assignment. Go attack it. There's not a bunch of reacting or standing still and looking for an outcome. Um, and that works that three down defense works effectively when you have really good linebackers, particularly very smart linebackers that know the scheme and are, and are skilled and trained like, like a Baylor. Um, our guys are not, it's not that they're not smart. It was a brand new scheme. And that's really hard to do that early. And so this year, we hope to see what's called a, a 3 3 5. And it's the same as a three down defense. But instead, those defensive linemen have a gap. And now the run and the linebackers have a gap. So it's you're not reacting. Everyone's going to a certain gap. And so you get the three, some of the advantages of a three down, but it's more like a four down. And so that's kind of the whispers behind the scenes that we might try something like that. There's no guarantees. I'm sure Sark doesn't love when I talk about it, but that's uh, ideally what we want. We want our defensive line to be able to penetrate and attack. And we think that'll improve pass rushing, which was the major issue last year. Alfred Collins, you guys said he was the top NFL prospect right now in the, for the defense. Like he projects what excites you about Alfred Collins. So there's the physical ped pedigree, right? His height, his weight is all is already there. He's plus 300. His 
arms are long, meaning that he can reach out and grab guys. So when we're saying NFL, the NFL is more looking for pedigree and what we're talking about, like physical, their body, right? But we also saw not last year, but the year prior, his crazy interception with Colorado, where he jumped back and intercepted it. Yeah, yeah, that freak athleticism. That's what pops off the tape. Can he do it consistently? Is is we'll see if that'll matter at Texas. But as far as the NFL, they're going to absolutely love his athleticism, his ability, his size. It's all there. It's just can we can we get that out at Texas? Because he's going pro regardless. That's exciting because we need. We need these young people that are coming through Texas coaching because it matters when you put people in the NFL. So that affects recruiting a lot. So that could be seeing players like Collins maybe after this year. I don't know. Do you think he needs three years or four years? What do you think? It depends on if that injury that we heard reported is significant or not. Wow. Um, and so that's really what it would be. If you know, If he's out for a while, maybe he comes back. But he could, if he has a good year this year, he can absolutely go at the end of the year. Yeah, definitely. We want him want him to get healthy, want him to be good. And, you know, Rocky, you were saying something that made me remember some, you know, it does matter. Getting players in the NFL matters. That helps recruiting. That helps, you know, everybody's looking at that. And I saw an account tweet out that Texas's last first round NFL draft was Malcolm, Malcolm Brown in 2015. So that's that's a pretty significant break to have somebody go in the first round. So, you know, do you, do you see Collins as a first rounder, potential first rounder um, if he comes back healthy? So he has the, the physical ability to be a first rounder, but you also have to show out as well. So it's, it's dependent on play. Um, I, you know, if he gets a bunch of sacks and he, the you want to showcase what you can do. He hasn't really been able to showcase since freshman year, especially when you don't have that penetrating defense, but this, if we get that defense, he'll be able to showcase. Um, I don't know about first round. I'd have to talk to real, the NFL guys, um, but he's an NFL player. And if he balls out, then he'll absolutely has an opportunity to be an early rounder. Let's keep moving. Linebackers. I'm excited about Jalen Ford. Statistically is one of the top producers right now. Who are you looking at for the linebackers? Because I'm really excited about Jalen Ford. Yeah, I agree with you with Ford. We need a true middle inside linebacker kind of run stopper. And that's what I'm most excited for. DeMarvion, that's not his primary role. And so he's really athletic and he can come down in space and all that, but he's not a, a run a run plugger. And so we need that in Ford. Been really excited. What have we hear, heard about Diamante Tucker Dorsey? We've heard of his stats at James Madison last year are crazy. Like his stat lines, he's getting interceptions, PBUs. I mean, he's doing everything you can do as a linebacker. And so that shows to me not just athletic ability, but intelligence. He's consistently in the right place to make plays. So I'm really excited what we're hearing about him, and we're hearing really positive things there. If Ford and Tucker Dorsey are able to take the linebacker spots, then that helps DeMarvion in his new edge role that we hear about. So we want to hear that. And then that way, DeMarvion, who's really good at penetrating, going through the middle of the defense or even coming off the edge to make sacks because he's long and athletic, he'll be awesome there. So we want to hear that Ford has middle lockdown, and then we have Tucker Dorsey that has weak or David Benda is improving there as well. And that allows the coaches to do some cool things with overshone and generate pass rush and and, uh, generate unique blitzing. Do you like the depth right now at linebacker? Do you think it's enough to get through a season? I do not like the depth, but I think it's enough to get through the season. Um, You have David Benda if there's a weak um, middle. It'll be interesting. Brockermeyer, we got to see with the ACL 
it's been about a year. He still might even be an option. And then Jeb Bush always confuses me because I'll hear him with the linebackers, and then I'll hear him with the edge. And so I don't know where he's exactly at right now, um, but he could potentially help you in the linebacking core. But no, the depth is not good there, and that's why it's a big focus on the class. But as far as our our frontline starters, I feel better about them this year than last year for sure. Are there any young guys that you see that you think are is are going to get significant playing time uh, defense wise? Who who do you think? Uh, Gilbo gets a lot of praise um, at nickel or even corner. Terrence Brooks was a little bit confused during the spring game, um, but he's young. But he could do some cool stuff. B.J. Allen at safety could get some good reps. Um, I think he's probably the truest safety we have on the roster, including everyone on the roster. Because um, you saw we had to move a bunch of former corners to fill out safety. So I think B.J. Allen could be really interesting. Terrence Brooks, Jalen Gilbo. Uh, those are probably the three. I'm trying to think defensive line-wise. Jamon Tapp is getting good reviews. Jare Bledsoe was too, but he got appendicitis, so he, he's a that was a bummer. It's but, amazing how you remember all. <laughs> yeah, and then Finkley, it's full full time job. Oh, Justice <laughs> Finkley, yeah, yes. and then you have Finkley. So there's some there's some young people out there that um, I think could do a lot of cool stuff. I don't know about starting, but getting some good reps and then we see them as our starters in year two and year three. Absolutely. All right. You mentioned moving players around one player that went from corner to safety, Anthony cook. And we've complained about this screaming from our seats, why they play so far off the receivers, Mm -hmm. the corners when they were at corner and they talked about more pressure and Sark talked about it too, like getting more playing more man up closer to the line. But they also talked about the risks of the challenge of playing that tighter coverage that you risk right over your head why do you think they went with that looser off coverage and now they're switching to the tighter coverage they talked about trying to get more of a pass rush and pressure and and it all works together but do you think it was crazy that they were so off now do you like they're going closer what do you what do you see so off ball corners is a totally reasonable scheme and you see it in the nfl it would bother me when they were off on third downs where you're like hey we know he's running to the, the marker and we're still playing off. That's the situation, some situational elements I do not like. But as far as playing off, that's a totally valid scheme. Uh, it actually generally can help your corners because they're staring at the quarterback. So in theory, you get more interceptions when you play off. That didn't happen, but in theory, <laughs> it actually gives them time to read and react. So it's absolutely valid. But philosophy-wise, personally, I always like tighter coverage. I'm high risk, high reward. So I like, you're going to get balls thrown over your head. You're going to see touchdowns when you play that close. Cause if you get beat and can't recover, it's going to, it's going to be an issue, but you're going to be able to, the problem with paying off is you're always letting teams get five yards almost automatically. Well, when they're always getting five yards, their whole playbook is open to them. They can run or then pass. You want to get teams into pure passing situations. You know what they're going to do. And so tighter coverage allows you to do that. You're not conceding those five yards and letting them nickel and dime you down the field. The flip side of that is sometimes you will get beat and that wide receiver is going to score a touchdown on you. But ultimately, philosophically, I like tighter coverage. And I think more importantly, we have the players to do that. And Watts and Barron and Jameson's fast and physically keep up with guys. So, but generally when you're playing off, it's a personnel thing where they're saying, hey, we don't necessarily have the guys that can go step for step with wide receivers. But now that you are saying they're 
they're telling us, hey, we trust these corners more to stick on guys, even though sometimes it's going to bite us. Yeah, I like that. I, I think that is kind of, you know, again, seeing the glasses half full thing. I do think that's kind of the hidden message there. We know our guys this year. We trust our guys this year. We've They've gotten some reps in and we're confident in their abilities to keep up in that more difficult coverage. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think that's something that Texas fans should be excited about. Could, could be definitely read into that. See, you know, hear that our coaches are trusting our guys more and see that as a big positive. Absolutely. I see what you're saying. Sometimes it felt frustrating watching, like you said, they get that automatic five yards. And do you think that's why Sark is really trying to recruit that long six foot plus speedy DB to move to more tighter coverage? Yeah, absolutely. That body type can defend jump balls. And if you're defending a jump ball, you're naturally going to be right next to the guy. So that hints man coverage. And you're also going to be physically big enough to shove receivers backwards. We didn't have super big corners, so it's it's hard to do that. And you heard in his presser, I want bigger, stronger, more physical corners. Well, why would you need a more physical corner? Because you're going to have to be more physical on the line. So absolutely, I think we're going to see the more um, – you saw their first transfer that they take at corner. It's Watts. He's big, um, and he's really good in the red zone. So absolutely. Same when they I came think, from Ohio State? Yep, Ohio State. Okay. That's and the so, category, right? Yeah, Absolutely. And yeah, he did a video with Garrett Wilson on one of my things, Garrett Wilson, the great Ohio State receiver. And he said that Watts was the best locked uh, red zone lockdown corner in the nation. Um, wow. And so that kind of stuff is good when you're in the 10 yard line. Now, I don't know. Players like to hype each other. I don't know if that's 100 percent. But what he's saying is that, you know, when it's 10 yards, we're not going to play off. Watts is going to be all over you and it's going to be a fight for you to catch it. We're not going to concede balls anymore. All right. Do you have a bold prediction before we move on? A bold defensive prediction? I know we were, you had pointed out that we were 52nd ranked last year. Yeah, in advanced. Yep. Yes, in advanced. And was it a 100 total defense ranked 100? Was yeah. That, oh my yeah. God. Yeah, um, I was bottom of the barrel in the non-advanced stats. Absolutely. Uh, the bold prediction is that we're going to be better. Uh, both. both uh, yeah, both. No, we're going to be my bold. I'll give you like anywhere from. <laughs> non-advanced anywhere from like 60 to 40 which is what you need if the offense is moving well um and that's significant you go 100 to 50 i mean that's a doubled your ability there um but i like who we have at safety i like our corner options i like if we do go with a scheme that's more attacking i like the tighter coverage philosophically these are all things that i like in a football team so I think we'll you can see an actual uh, a big jump this year. No, you're not going to top ten, but you can see a market improvement on defense this side of, uh, this season. Yeah, definitely. Listen, I think Texas fans are going to be super. We'll take that marked improvement right as as the bold prediction because it has been tough. It has been tough watching those the, the teams hang, 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 have a great defense and then let it go. So I love it. I love it. Let's jump us up. Let's bring back DBU. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? All right. Okay. Well, let's, let's keep moving. Those are great bold predictions. You also had a great, your most recent video that you posted had a great breakdown of recruiting kind of the Manning arch Manning effect of all these top, top recruits from around the nation jumping in. As you said, there's still a few more on the board that are out there. Jordan Matthews today picked Tennessee. That was surprising. I was really hoping he would pick Texas. 
what are some good wins that you see for Texas, especially going into other states and pulling people out of SEC country? And what are you seeing? Who's still out there that you're excited about? So we have a few spots left. I'd say maybe five or six. We are anticipating Matthews. That didn't just shock you. That shocked everyone on the Texas side. Um, so so we that will give us one more spot now. Um, as far as really a big target in-state, then we'll do out. Uh, Jalen Hale out of Longview, wide receiver, would be our final wide receiver. Everything seems that we're in good standing there. I think he commits and announces on the 21st. Don't hold me to it, but somewhere around that time in September. Uh, but we're still currently good with him. And then you have JV and Toviano, the cornerback, uh, which is now even more relevant because Jordan Matthews chose Tennessee and he was our second corner commit. As far as outside, we want Damon Wilson, who's an edge out of Venice, Florida, I believe. He's going to be a long shot. He's currently leaning to Ohio State, I believe. But if we can land him, that'd be absolutely awesome. Another one out of Florida is Jordan Hall. He's a defensive tackle. We want him, ideally. If that does not happen at defensive tackle, we also look at Marcus Deal, who's another Texas player. We're basically done with the offense. We're looking at a wide receiver, potentially a tight end, five-star tight end, Deuce Robinson out of Arizona. Um, but we already have two tight ends in the class. It's just you don't say no to the Deuce Robinson kid because he's that talented. So offense is pretty much done. We're looking to fill out the defense at key positions, edge, defensive tackle, and then corner pretty much. Uh, linebackers done. We got Darren Gallette, who will actually end up playing edge for us later on, but he's currently a linebacker. And then the other edge that we're after big time that seems more plausible is Cecilia Kana. And he's out of Utah, I believe, right now. He's originally from Hawaii, but I believe Hawaii. he's in Utah now. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's probably the biggest target for me personally. That's my favorite player left on the board. Projecting now, do you see Texas finishing with a top five class, top 10? And if Arch hadn't committed, where do you think we would have finished? I could see us compete in that top four range. I 100% expect top five. We just got to see what kind of shenanigans happen late in the game in recruiting. It's such a weird world, especially in NIL, right? So some teams are going to make late pushes, so we'll see. But I think Texas can actually end up top three. Wow. Um, without Arch, um, I still think you're – top six i mean it's te texas recruits well that's not really a problem um but arch certainly helped after last season but same thing with this year's class we have to win this year just because people are committed right now you can't have the same season you'll get decommits so texas needs to my thing is you know eight nine wins there uh, you're going to feel comfortable and people will stick around but if you have another bad season you could see the class lose guys and therefore you drop a little bit yeah it ain't over till they sign right Yep. And even then. <laughs> and even then. <laughs> and even then. Oh, All right. Bold, bold recruiting prediction. Do you have one? We're getting real bold this this episode. I like I it. And my bold I takes like are so unbold. <laughs> you should just give me like lukewarm, my, reasonable okay, takes. Here's, here's a question. Here's a question. <laughs> this will be a bold yes or no. Just you don't have to name a name. Are we going to flip a big name from another school before this cycle is over? like a top 250 player from another school before the cycle's over. Yeah. There's a couple guys that, yeah, that there's potential to do that. Okay. That's what yeah. I wanted to know. <laughs> I yeah. like it. You don't have to say who, of course, but that's exciting. <laughs>
All right. I love it. Okay. So is there anything else you want to add about recruiting before we, I have rapid fire questions for you. Is there anything else you want to wrap up about recruiting thoughts? I like how quickly they've gotten the class kind of filled. Um, I think that's great. It allows coaches to focus on the season. You're not chasing a bunch of 17 year olds while you're also trying to game plan for Baylor, you know? So I really like that they filled it up quickly. It's kind of like the old, the old Mac days. Um, So that's what I was most excited about. I think the coaches are doing a really awesome job and kind of putting us, we were always good recruiters and up there, but I mean, we're going head to head with the big dogs and we're, and we're getting some wins. So I think Sark and company have done a a really good job on the recruiting front. All right. The recruiting is exciting. Megan, any more thoughts about recruiting before we move to the fire? Look, I think it's, I just, no thoughts necessarily on the classes. I just want to remind Texas fans to take a breath take a damn breath every now and again and it's not you know it's disappointing to miss on guys that we wanted it's super exciting to get the guys that we did like you you know maybe flip a couple but at the end of the day it it isn't going to end the world one way or the other right so just take a breath guys Take a breath, Megan says. I'll hold my breath when we win a championship. I'm just kidding. All right. Okay. So we have some fun rapid fire questions. No big deep thoughts. Just the first thing out of off the top of your head. First of all, someone voted Texas number one. Was it Lincoln Riley yesterday? No, Nick Saban is a psychological tactic. <laughs> oh, that's a good call. Megan, who did it? Yeah, I was gonna say Saban. He wants it to look good. When he comes into Austin, if he thinks they're number one and they beat us, then that that looks good for him, right? All right. Okay. Question number two, also with rankings, Texas out of the AP top 25 today that was released. You think that's fair? Yes. Absolutely. Zero question. We finished five and seven for God's sakes. Like I know, but we always finish five and seven and we're always still a top 25 team. I think they've given they've given us the grace periods over after eleven years. I've seen the media <laughs> shift. They finally they used to always give us the benefit of the doubt until this year, which makes me think like, well, maybe this is the year we actually do something because they finally it will be good. yeah because they finally <laughs> given us the benefit of the doubt. But uh, no, I think it's fair for the media to leave us out. Okay, moving on. Sark talked a lot about this season about creating more pressure, more turnovers, being a big key highlight for the defense. This past scrimmage, they had three interceptions and four forced fumbles reported in this scrimmage. Does that mean, yay, defense, you're amazing, or panic, the offense is a mess? If I have you make me pick, yes, uh, panic for offense. But it's it's still, it's it's somewhere in the middle, but we're, we're doing hot takes. <clears throat> okay. Megan? <laughs> Um, I'm going to say yay defense because this is fresh off of this, the first practice right after we are having to reshift that O-line with the injuries. So I'm going to say defense was taking care of business. Offense is still kind of tweaking a few things, but I don't think it's time to hit the panic button yet for them. Yeah, I feel a little of both. Maybe half of those with the offense being a mess and half of those with the defense being amazing. I'll go with that so that I can sleep tonight. All right, moving on. Eminem tweeted a picture of him today with Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre in the studio. I'm a massive Eminem fan. This is really exciting for me. So are you an Eminem fan? And if so, what's your favorite Eminem song? Yes, I'm an Eminem fan. Yes, you Um, are. Still don't give an F is my favorite Eminem song. Keep it family friendly. (laughs) 
Hold on. Because that's what I do all the time. Yeah. Hold on. You've got to keep the sponsors hanging around, you know? There you go. So this go. one here is your favorite. We're, we're, we're family friendly, friendly but we're a lot not of people ask me, Am I afraid of death? <laughs> Hell yeah, I'm afraid of death. I don't want to die yet. A lot of people think that I worship the devil, that I I'm gonna move on. The rest of my body still being operated on. I'm ducked the fuck down while I'm writing this rhyme. Cause I'm probably gonna get struck with lightning this time. Nice. Taking it back to the Slim Shady LP. You're lucky you didn't get to the chorus. You have That's not right. been able to play that. Hold on. We don't care. We're, we're, we're not on PBS. I, I drop F-bombs like... But I still don't give a fuck. Yo, kiss my ass. I walked into a gunfight with a knife to kill you and cut you so fast when your blood spilled it was still blue. Love it. All right. Megan, favorite Eminem song? Favorite Eminem song? I don't know. Uh, what's the one he did with Dido? I like Eminem, but I I am terrible at remembering names of songs. Told, I'm wonder that one. Yeah. Yeah, I like that one. The stand. Uh, what is it? The, the stand. Where yeah, he's writing about stand, him, uh, yes. a fan writing to him, and he just didn't see it in time and wrote back. Oh, good. My, I think one that doesn't get enough love from Eminem. I'm not afraid. Yeah. It's been a ride. This is the heavy lift day song. I guess I had to <laughs> go to that place to get to this one. Now, some of you. All right. Solid. So, Eminem, solid. New music. Solid. I'm excited. All right. Last <laughs> rap. That wasn't really rapid, but last rapid part question. Jay Witt said he should be sponsored by ice cream. He used to do Bluebell. Now he does some gelato stuff. And that's his, that's the thing he can't not stop doing, right? He, that's his vice. Um, are you an ice cream person? Last question. Are you an ice cream person? And if so, what is your go-to? Yes, I had a vanilla cone from Dairy Queen today. Nice. And that's, and that's my go-to. Yes. Chocolate dip? <laughs> no chocolate dip. I'm okay. a, I'm a Puritan in that regard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, ice cream all day. That's like one of the only sweets that I consistently like to have. And if, if you will always find Bluebell Texas two-step, the, the, the cookie two-step in my, in my freezer. The one that has chunks of cookies and then also cookie dough. It is cookies and cream with chocolate chip cookie dough in it. Like, oh, come that on. sounds good. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not the biggest ice cream person. I'd rather have a cookie. But I do like Amy's ice cream, Mexican vanilla, but you have to smash in the Snickers. Because if I'm going to do it, I'm going to yeah. do it right. So yeah, that's, that's my solid. that's my go-to. Is I miss Amy's. Yeah. It was right by my apartment when I was in school. And so I'm, I miss Amy's a lot. I mean, now it's like nine bucks for the little tiny cup. But that's why it's worth it because it's real good ice cream. All right. Good job, everybody. We covered a lot. A lot. Yeah. A lot. We a lot. And thanks, Homer, man. We always appreciate your insight. You always have, you always bring a lot with your analysis to the game. You, you got that inside track. Um, and I like the flair that you bring. I mean, really, y'all, if, if you aren't subscribed to Homer's uh, YouTube page, please do. You're, you're, it's well worth it. You get so much information, man. Can you tell them one more time where they can find you on YouTube? Yeah, just go or YouTube Texas Homer and you'll find all my videos. You'll see my little orange icon, a little a little skull head with some horns coming out of it. But yeah, you can always find me on YouTube. I was letting you know earlier um, before we started recording that 
your content is amazing. Not only do you have incredible guests with really good inside information and you're a smart guy, but you spend so much time putting the videos and the photos and the clips together. It is like a really well-produced show and I enjoy it. And like Megan said earlier, when, when I need to get caught up or find out what's going on or, you know, what am I missing or what do I need to be thinking about? I go to your content because it's legit good content. And I'm glad you're out there doing this and congrats for making it like your gig. Yeah. That, that part's been awesome. Yeah. Just to study Texas football all the time. Mm -hmm. Good job. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. You're so incredibly smart. We're happy to have you. And we look forward to more people. Maybe they hear us and they go find you now. Absolutely. And this is my favorite podcast. I said it before. So oh, uh, love I love coming on. We, love <laughs> we appreciate you, man. Well, as always, y'all, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Fire the Cannon. I'm Megan. I'm Rocky. I'm Texas Homer. And we are Fire the Cannon. <laughs> <laughs>